if they're in front of Jesus. Do you guys agree? Amen. We ought to put him first because he is priority. This is being declared in the sermon that we started last week. And we're going to finish today where I began to summarize and clarify what the author of Hebrews is saying about Jesus' superiority to angels. This is, this is a time of year where we hear a lot about angels, right? In the narrative about Christmas, we hear about angels coming to... Who did angels come to in this story? They came to Mary. They came to Joseph. Uh, if you include John the Baptist in his story, you have the angel coming to Zechariah to let them know about that pregnancy and that upcoming birth. We know, who's here, who here has heard the story about the angels coming to the shepherds, right? The angels are all over the place. All of this happened. All of these angels are coming. Why are they coming around Christmas? Why are they coming around Jesus' incarnation? It's because Jesus is showing up. He has become flesh and dwelling among us, as we learned in John chapter 1 this morning in the Sunday school uh, hour. All of these happened in recognition, in recognition of Jesus Christ himself. And so, today we're talking about Jesus' superiority in every way, especially with the angels. And last week I gave you the first two ways that Jesus is superior to angels. And don't just take this as a theological, I hope that at the end of this, this is not just a theological position that you take on. That you're like, well, I, I know that fact that Jesus is better than the angels. If I were to ask you, who's better, Jesus or the angels, when you walked in, probably most of you would say, well, you at least believe that I believe that Jesus is better than the angels. Who here had that position before you walked in? Okay, so what's the point? Why are we talking about this? Because Jesus is superior. He's number one. And if he's better than the angels, he ought to be number one in your life and in my life as well. And he better be the priority in this church. He better be the priority in your family. He better be the priority in your finances. He better be the priority in the way that you look at life. Is he priority in our culture? So that means we got to be countercultural. That's what that means. We got to be different. Jesus is superior in every way. He's superior to the angels as he's as seen in these four ways. Number one, we talked about this last week. He has a superior name. He has a superior name. He is the son. They are worshipers. Let's run up to it. Ready? Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things. This will sound familiar from Sunday school. By whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Do you see it there? He has a better name than the angels. Well, author of Hebrews, Pastor Ben. Why, how does he have a better name of the angels? Well, here's a proof, verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. Here the author asks a question. The question is this, as he quotes the Old Testament 
Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, which angel did the Father claim to have begotten? Which, which angel was the one that Jesus, or which angel was the one that was given a name and that name was begotten son? And the answer, of course, is none. No angel was given that name. Who agrees? No angel was given that name. Who was given that name? Jesus was given that name. He's referring to Psalm 2-7, I will declare the decree the Lord has sent me. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. How was Jesus begotten? How was Jesus the begotten son? In his birth. I'm just summarizing. Don't get worried. We'll go fast. Luke 1-35 says this, And the angel answered and said unto her, Who was the her? Mary, right? The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Ladies, how would you, how would you like to have experienced having the Son of God as your child? The one who thought you up is who you're given birth to. Who thinks that's incredible? This one that's in you, he formed the worlds. He created everything. And he's going to be called the son. He's declared to be the son. He's the only begotten son in his birth. He's also the only begotten son because of his resurrection. Acts 13, speaking of Psalm, speaking of the same Psalm, Paul said this, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Jesus is declared to be the son when he was begotten of the father at his conception in his incarnation but also in his resurrection he's alive he's alive he's the only he's the self-existent one the eternally self-existent one he's the only one that could get himself up out of the grave you and i need him to resurrect he doesn't need us <laughs> he doesn't need anything but himself to resurrect Paul said this in Romans 1, 3, and 4. We said this again last week. Concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which has made the seed of David according to the flesh, and he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit and holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so he has a superior name. He is the Son, verse 6. We're getting up into our current text today, verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten of the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. He's the son, what are they? They're worshipers. They're servants, verse 7. And of the angels, he said, who maketh his angels and his ministers a flame of fire. So he has a superior name. We said last week, number two, that he has a superior position. A superior position. In verse 8, for which to the angels that he say he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, here's the second part. I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. This is quoting 2 Samuel 7, 14, where it says, 
I will be unto him a father, and he shall be unto his son. If he should commit iniquity, I will chase him with the rod of men, talking of a Solomon, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Verse 16. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established. How long? Forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. What we find out in Hebrews is that there's kind of a dual fulfillment here. One, he's talking about, uh, he's talking to David. God is revealing to David, King David. Who remembers King David? Remember David, the, the Goliath, the giant? He be, he's already been anointed king. He becomes king. And God's, God tells David, hey, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be on the throne, and he's going to be on the throne and your, your, your line, your seed is, is going to be established. Your reign is going to happen forever. Thy, verse 16, thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is what is being quoted in Hebrews. He's saying God didn't establish the throne of David through an angel. He did it through his son. He did it through Jesus. God tells David that his house would be established forever. That's what he says in verse 8. But unto thy son he say, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. What is the position of Jesus Christ? By being an heir, the heir of all things mentioned in verse 2. And by having, having obtained an inheritance, a name that is greater than the angels, he has been given a throne. This throne is not just a theoretical throne. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is ruling and reigning and will rule and reign on the throne of David forever, just as God promised. Who's looking forward to that day? It's going to be amazing. And that's why he says in verse 9, Thou hast loved righteousness, talking about his son, and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who is Jesus Christ as the son and heir? He is the king that will sit on the throne to rule and reign. Who are the angels then? They're the ones mentioned in verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who make his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. Jesus is superior in every way. He is superior as he has a superior name. He's the son, they're worshipers. He has a superior position. He is the king, and they are the servants. And that gets us up to where we were last week. Here's the third way. This is really, really cool. He is a superior origin. He is creator. They are created. He is creator. They are created. Look at verse 10. This is so cool. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. I was talking to someone this morning who is kind of studying along with us as we do this, it is amazing to me how much a study of Hebrews is a study of the Old Testament. He just quotes it over and over and over again. Verse 10 is quoting uh, verse, uh, Psalm chapter 100, 102, verses 25 through 27, as he gets into this talking about... Um, this next section, verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning 
hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old, as doth a garment, and as a vesture shall be fo- thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Psalm 102 says essentially the same thing. Of an old house that laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of thy hands, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shall thou Change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years have no end. In the beginning, he says, thou hast laid the foundations of the earth. He's talking about Jesus, and this is speaking of Jesus as a creator. He speaks of two things being created, the earth and the heavens, right? You see that? He says, thou hast laid the foundations of the earth and the Heavens are the work of thy hands. What does that sound like? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the and the earth. That's right. That's right. There are many biblical reasons to believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all active in creation. Genesis 1.2 says that the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God refers himself to himself in the plural, and he's also referred to in the singular. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepeth, creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. If the God of the Bible is real, he has revealed himself as Trinitarian. And you would expect him to be described as both singular and plural, and that's exactly what you see in Genesis 1. You would certainly not be surprised that all three would be active at creation. If the world is created, then whatever created it had to have existed before. And this is exactly what is revealed in the Scripture, that God existed in the beginning, as the Trinitarian God. Jesus Christ is described as the creator of the universe throughout the New Testament. Think about that. Could you imagine being on the earth when Jesus was on the earth and the guy that just walked by thought all this up? The guy that's teaching me didn't start in Bethlehem. He started before time began. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus was not just another dude. Jesus is God. And at being God, he created the world. If you believe the Bible, that's what you believe. Let's talk about it. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of, of whom are all things, and we in him, but one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Does that sound consistent? Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me, who am less of the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by 
Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him, this is so good, you guys got to get excited about this. You're not, you're, that wasn't enough. You got to get excited about it. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus made the world. He created the world. He, it's, it's made for him. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. You were made for him. And the fact that you're still alive and still breathing now is because he lets you. He's holding you together. By him all things consist. It's all about Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, you might have heard this. God had sundry times and in diverse manners and in times past spoken to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus created it. Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come the Almighty. Revelation 3, 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Revelation 4, 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure all things are created. Revelation 10, 6, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are there therein are, and the earth and the things that are therein are, and the sea and the things that which are therein, that there should be no time, there should be time no longer. Do you see the overwhelming evidence of the Bible's consistent revelation about Jesus? Jesus is the creator. He is the creator. Both our text and the quote in Psalm. One or two go on to say this about this creation. He created everything. He created everything. But this is what he says about his creation. They shall perish. They shall perish. Look around. It's all going away. Thousand years from now, 10,000 years, we don't know when, but it's all going away. There's two things in this room, two categories of things that will be here a million years from now. The Word of God and the souls of men. That's it. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old as doth a garment. The word they here refers to creation. What does this say will happen? It will perish or wax old. We all get the idea of garment getting old or wearing out. Anybody have any holes with any socks in them? Sorry. <laughs> Did I say that the wrong way? Some of my holes have socks. 
we got this stupid dog. This dog loves socks. Bingo is the sock dog. If there's socks on the ground, which not, they're never mine that are on the ground. We get a hold of socks and they take, it's bad. Uh, there was someone I'll leave nameless, but they're in this section right here. I won't say who they are. But they said every year their mom gets them a brand new pack of underwear and a brand new pack of socks. And he's getting to the age now where his mom thought it, maybe it wasn't cool to do that anymore, so she didn't do that for him. And he was like, Mom, where's my underwear and my socks? Because <laughs> when you get a certain age, you realize, i got to buy my own, right? I want my mom to keep buying them, right? Why does he want them? Because they wear out. I remember opening the socks or the undershirts as a gift when I was a kid or teenager going, man, thanks, Mom. Now, and if I get them, I'm pretty happy. It means I don't have to spend my own money on it. The psalmist says that the created world is wearing out and wearing down. Who, who feels that your body is wearing out and wearing down? Yeah. That hit a little too close to home for some of you. We know that's the case. He's like, it's, it's waxing old like a garment. He also uses the word perish about things created. This, this, that is something else that the Bible teaches. The earth is going to end. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is amazing. I know I've given you a lot of scripture today, but really pay attention to this. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, meaning the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. You know what that means? God's not like your mama who lets you get away with everything. If God makes a promise, he's going to keep his promise. But is long-suffering to us, Lord. Why is it, you know, some people are like, well, people have been saying the world's going to end forever. Right? So he, God's not going to fulfill what he said. No, no, no. He, here's what you need to know. God is l not slack. He's going to do what he says. He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. You know what that means? The earth is going to end. God is going to judge it and those on it who do not repent and turn to Christ. That is where all of history is going. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Christ, the creator, is different than his creation. The world waxes old, but Christ does not. The world will perish, but Christ does not. And this morning in John chapter 1, we said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know what that means? He's, he's eternally self-existent. He, he doesn't need death. He even said it earlier, corruption won't come upon him again. 
He, Jesus is never going to die again. He's not. And because he lives, we can live also. That is amazing. The world is going to wax old. Christ is not. The world will perish. Christ is not. And so in verse 12, he says, And as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. He says about Christ, Thy years shall not fail. And like his creation, there's no end to Christ. But what does the author say about creation? He, he continues his clothing metaphor. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall all be changed. What an apt description that is in keeping with the rest of Scripture. We were just in 2 Peter 3, where describe what will happen to this creation. It's going to burn up. But I left off the last verse. Here's the last verse of that passage. Verse 13. This is so cool. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the new heaven and new earth will not be cursed by sin. It's not going to wear out. Righteousness and rightness will be its mark. It's the marked difference between th that world and this one. Revelation, this is so good. Revelation 21.1 tells us what it's going to be like. This is John seeing, foreseeing this new heaven and new earth. Here's what he says. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God shall, himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne... Who is that? He's the one that said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. You know what that means? I'm A to Z. I'm the first to the last. The beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and will be his God. And he shall be my, where it is it? Son. But here's the bad news. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. <sighs> Who's looking forward to the new heaven and new earth? man. The angels, did they create the world? Did they pre-exist creation? No, they did not. They are created. They do not create. When I say he has a superior origin, I'm, I'm saying, really, in a sense, he has no origin. He has always existed. He is creator. They are created. Number four, last one. He has a superior role. He has a superior role. He is ruler, they are ministers. Verse 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time, 
sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In similar fashion to the previous questions, the author asked these last two questions and what makes up Hebrews 1. On its face, what's the answer? He said, Does, did he say to any angel, sit here in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? The answer is he's never said it to any angel. He said it to his son because he's trying to prove that Jesus is superior to the angels. He never said to any angel to sit on his right hand. He never told any angel that he would make their enemies his footstool. Where did he say it? He said it in Psalm 110, verse 1, and it's a psalm of David. Look at that scripture, Psalm 110, 1. Verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sittest thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The fact that this is a psalm of David is important because of the issue raised by Jesus himself in Matthew twenty-two forty-one to 46. Look at what Jesus said there. He says in Matthew 22, to the Pharisees. I always love when Jesus talks to the Pharisees. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. So he says, Hey, when the Messiah comes, what line is he going to be in? Whose son is he going to be? He's going to be David's line. Okay. They answered this correctly, verse 43. He said unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, talking about his offspring, how is he his son? Do any of you call your kids Lord? We have, a, a, we have a kind of a southern thing that I was brought up with in my house, and we have to enforce it strictly, regularly. We had this conversation this weekend. You don't say, yeah. You don't say, yes. You say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Not you, my kids. Okay? That's the rule. And Megan better do it. No, I'm joking. No. If you're calling your kids sir, you got it backwards, right? That's a bad parenting plan. There are some families where the kids are in charge and that's not good. But David calls his son Lord. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, why would David call his son Lord? Verse 46, the Pharisees, no man was able to answer him a word. Neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions pretty funny. They couldn't answer, but we can, right? The reason David called his son Lord is because his son, the son that was born in his line, is Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. He is both human and he is divine. One commentator put it this way, this Lord title refers to his divine, to the divine human king of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's humanity descended from David, which is demanded by the Davidic promise. Using this passage, Christ also declared that his deity in, the, in other Gospels by arguing that only God could have been Lord to King David, even though he was a son. Jesus has a much different role than the angels. That's what be, is being said here. 
Let's look at a couple things. We're going to look at his seat and his enemies. First of all, his seat. His place here, he says, is to sit on the right hand of the Father. Do you see that? What does this mean? It's a place of honor in the heavenly throne room. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. We've already been told that this is where Jesus sat down when the work of redemption was accomplished in verse 3. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a place of honor for the Son alone. Perhaps this is why Jesus said to the disciples that it is not given them, it is not his place to give them a seat at his right hand and his left hand when they enter the kingdom. That's not how it works. Jesus deserves the highest place. He deserves the place of honor, having obeyed the Father and purged our sins. He has a different role because he has a different seat. He also has a different role because God's going to do something with his enemies. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. What's a footstool? It's a metaphor that was used a lot in ancient times to refer to a picture of someone's absolute victory. The idea is that one who had conquered conquered so well that their enemy was underfoot. They were an absolute subjection to them because of that victory. I'm, I'm going to use my enemies to prop up my legs after I'm done. Make my enemies my recliner. Amen? That's what it means. That's the picture. Do you remember when we studied, when we looked at Ephesians 1? Well, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know about the greatness of Jesus' power. He says, and in verse 19, I want you to know, he's praying, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believed according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Here it is. And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. What was significant about that? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but when that which is to come, and hath put all things under his, his feet. You see that? And gave him to be the head of all things in the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. See, when Jesus came the first time, he came to Bethlehem as a baby. He came in humility. He came fully God and fully man. He was the suffering servant. But when Christ comes back again, he will come back as conquering king. He will put all of his enemies under his feet. And love compels me to tell you this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Know that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. But that does not mean that there is nothing to be feared. To be against Jesus is to be his enemy. You do not want to be his enemy. We learned last Sunday night from Philippians 2.9 that God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will do it willingly receiving the gift of salvation. Some will do it as conquered foes under his feet. Make the right choice. His role is different than the angels. Look how the author concludes what, he call, what we call Hebrews 1 in talking about the angels. 
he says, are they not all ministering spirits? Send forth to minister for, for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. The angels are ministering spirits. They do the bidding of God himself. He says it here that, here that they are sent forth to minister to them, for them, which shall be the heirs of salvation. Can I tell you, God loves people. God loves people. He often uses angels to minister and to protect people. This concept was explained by Jesus, talking about children specifically. He said, Take heed that you don't despise one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven, for the Son of Men, man has come to save that which was lost. Lost. What he's saying is, God spends a lot of time caring for people, specifically here, children. God has angels that spend a lot of time protecting children. Does that comfort anybody? Does that comfort anybody? And if God gives so much time to that, we better be careful how we treat children. That's what he's saying here. But don't miss the point. If God and the angels themselves take the time and the effort to protect and help people, we must have that same mindset towards others ourselves. Angels do not rule. Angels don't rule. We don't rule. Who rules? Jesus does. Angels aren't sitting on the right hand of the Father. They worship. They serve. They're created. And they are ministers. Beloved, are we not the same? We don't create. We're created. We don't rule. We're servants. We're not in charge. He's in charge. We worship. We have a different name. Jesus is superior in every way. He is the Son. He is the King. He is the Creator. And He is the ruler of all things. And what is amazing beyond amazing, this is amazing, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. This one who created everything, this one who rules and reigns, this one if he let things go, the whole place would just burn up. This one who came to be a baby and lived a perfect life allowed himself to become a sacrifice, to shed his blood for you. And what's amazing beyond amazing is that he loves you. He gave his life so that you can be saved. Bow your knee now. Confess him as Lord now and receive the gift of salvation. You know what that makes me think of? A verse in a Christmas carol we sing every, every year. Sing it with me. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him.
God, we want to say to you today that you are Lord, that you are God and we are not, that you're in charge and we are not, that you are perfect and we are not, that you created everything and we are merely created, and that we want to thank you so much that you became flesh and came and died for us. God, if there's someone here today that has never called on you as Lord, that has not recognized their own sin, that, that thinks of your son as just another person, and Christmas is just another holiday, that God, today, their eyes would be opened, that they would know that Jesus, your son, is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the truth that we have broken your law. But the truth is that you've given us grace, that if we put our faith and trust in your Son, we can be saved. So God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, God, I pray that you'd help us to take your word. Give us the opportunity. Send them this way that we may take your word and open it and show them how they can know for sure that heaven's their home that they wouldn't be called the enemy of God, but they'd be called a friend of God. That they would be sons and daughters of God. They would know for sure that heaven's their home. And if there's someone here that maybe their perspective on Jesus is not as high as it ought to be, maybe their view of your son is not as high as it ought to be, God, I pray that today, that this month, that starting today and this month as we celebrate Christmas, that we would recognize why it happened, that you became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would know your son so we can have our sins forgiven and heaven is our home. Have your will and way at this time of invitation. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand?